0: The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award winning book, Zero Time Selling 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, g-o-n-g gio forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 515, 515, of Accelerate, where, as you know, I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership virtually every day of the week. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 515. That's today's episode number 515. What you'll find is a detailed timestamp breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. So, if you Heard something during the show and you weren't quite sure where it was in the conversation, you can go to andypaul.com forward slash 515, scan the show notes, and pick up the bit of information that you missed. Now, joining me on the show today is Paul Teshma co-founder and CEO of Nudge.ai. Now, according to their website, Nudge uses artificial intelligence to find insights on your accounts so you can grow stronger relationships with your buyers. Now, as regular listens listeners to the show know. I'm really fascinated by the role that AI is beginning to play in sales and the role that AI is going to play in sales, both in the near-term and the long-term. So, I'm looking forward to talking with Paul and getting his perspective on that, as well as dive into how Nudge is using AI to move the needle on sales productivity today. Paul Teshima, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm excited to be here.
0: Hey, my pleasure. So, first question for you when I sort of ask all my guests is, what do you think is today, what do you think is the biggest single challenge that sales reps are facing?
1: I think the biggest challenge that they're facing is that buyers um, know way more information than they ever know before. And so a rep cannot add value just by holding information about their product or service. They've got to find other ways to add value to the customer, uh, which takes a lot of work.
0: It does. Yeah, I, mean, I remember harkening back to the days you know, pre-internet when when I first started, got, started selling, is that, yeah, the prospect could basically only buy about as fast as I was willing to sell to them. Absolutely. Yeah, that days, those days, thankfully, are long, long gone because, yeah, the customers certainly want to make decisions faster than that these days. So, tell us a little bit about Nudge. I mean, you're and sort of do that as a preface, because we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and AI and sales today, but, but a good way to start is just to tell people a little bit about what Nudge does.
1: Yeah, Nudge is a, an AI platform that focuses on understanding the insights around relationships um, and how those relationships can help you either get into an account, uh, help move an account along or influence an account uh, as part of your buying process.
0: Alright, we right, we're gonna, I want to jump into that a little bit more a little bit later about how it specifically does that because I want to start more with just talking about artificial intelligence, AI, because yeah, it's a term that strikes fear into the heart of many people in sales. You know, they they think, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to be replaced by, you know, a bot or something of that nature." So, so when you use AI and you talk about your own platform, but maybe even more broadly, what what does that mean to you?
1: Well, you know, I think there's there's sort of two two trains that are running right now on this idea of AI and sales. I think the first, which is one that I think most people think AI is is Uh, a bot or some sort of uh, human interaction interface that interacts with potential buyers. And um, I think that that has become the more prevalent version of it out there. And I'm not saying there isn't potential value in that down the road, but it certainly is really hard. Um, Well, when you say
0: human uh, human interaction interface, meaning...
1: Like a like a uh, it could be an actual uh, voice or it could be text that interacts with people and talks to them as if they're a person, but really it's a it's a machine okay. uh, doing it. And and you know the reason why that is is become prevalent is because people think about AI as a talking human being machine. Um, and and there isn't ve- there's definitely value in the research and effort going into thinking about that. But one of the big challenges is that today, if you were to ask a machine, if you were to tell a machine two sentences, and let me let me say these out here, um, the first Uh, The trophy didn't fit in the suitcase because it was too small. And the second sentence, the trophy didn't fit in the suitcase because it was too large. Mm -hmm. You as a person quickly understand that in one case you're talking about the suitcase being too small. In the second case, you're talking about the trophy being too large. But a machine actually has no way to understand that. Um, And so that's a very simple example of how complex human communication really is. Sure. Never mind in a selling environment.
0: Well, never mind. Yeah, and body language, facial expressions, all these things that play into it as well.
1: Absolutely. So the second, this, so that is one sort of train of thought around AI. I think the second, which um, certainly we are going down and others are as well, is that AI can be used to tackle problems that a human does today uh, that they have to do. Um, they are re- repetitive, they take some thought, uh, but they are typically more behind the scenes. Um, and so whether it is analyzing call scripts to figure out, you know, what a rep is doing during a call, uh, whether it's in the case of Nudge, doing lots of research on a company or a person so that you're better prepared for every interaction. Um, So, this kind of more grunt work AI, I think there's a lot of promise because, um, as you know, sales reps spend way too much time doing that type of work and not enough time actually engaging in the selling and relationship building that actually is is their key
0: skill. So, in the second iteration of, or definition, let's say, of AI that you talked about is, I don't know, I was reading a, a blog post uh, on your, your website, actually, about four ways sales leaders can use AI. And some of the examples cited seemed more like they were just sort of analytics, right? I mean, taking data sets that sort of existed, that, and data or statistics could be derived otherwise. it seemed sort of, I don't know, to me, a little bit ai light to some degree. I mean, it so we have this big trend with big data coming into, into sales, obviously. Is, is, there's a distinction, though, between just the analytics and AI.
1: Uh, absolutely. I think that every, if, especially if you look at stuff that is more, rather more around reporting more, um, it's always going to start at the base level of just doing first-level analytics. Where, where the AI comes into is where you apply machine learning to have a continuous improvement process around it. So by interacting with a tool, let's look at it as something as simple as I want to understand engagement across, uh, you know, how my reps are driving engagement pre-pipeline into the accounts that they're supposedly going after. Um, you know, first level, maybe just analytics. Here's a report of every person and their engagement profile across different sets. They call it hundred named accounts. Uh, but if you go to the second iteration where now machine learning is taking into account the outcomes of those deals. Like, how many wouldn't apply? How many closed? And you can now iterate back and say, you know, based on these profiles, these reps need to do more. These reps are actually good. You get into that continuous learning environment, which really AI can drive.
0: Okay. Well, I'm still trying to, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, Is you know, sort of discern, even the example you gave to me seem more like analytics, right? I mean, the, the stats change based on experience. Um, people always, I guess, tend to think of AI as sort of having that component about not just analyzing, but also telling you what to do. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think,
1: and maybe I didn't go deep enough on that example, but, you know, I think that AI, so let me give you an example of how we use AI and, and we can walk through that. Sure, so that'd be to, great. So, so today um, sales professionals who have targeted account lists uh, they know that it's a much more an effectiveness versus efficiency game, right? They've got to be quality focused on their engagement with those accounts because they're named and they need to get them and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple buyers. Um, so maybe they sign up for Google Alerts today. Well, if you sign up for Google Alerts for Cisco, you're going to get 100 alerts every day on wherever Cisco sure. is mentioned. Okay. Uh, AI can actually read all of those things about Google and do something called topic modeling, which is an assumptive process which says, based on clusters of words and some understanding of language, out of the 100 articles in Cisco, these 10 are really mainly about Cisco. They're not Cisco just being mentioned in the news. Mm-hmm, and out mm-hmm. of those out of those 10 about Cisco, these two actually are about a signal that could be related to a buying initiative that's internal to Cisco. Maybe one is a new growth announcement, one is uh, a major change in how they're thinking about product lines. And so at AI, it's not as simple as just reading any article and saying, hey, of course, it's going to explicitly say that. They have to do this thing called topic modeling, which is a little more fuzzy in terms of how it inter- interprets the words and language within an argument article. Um, and that's an example where as, we get, as you get to get, get feedback from how users interact with that piece of content and whether it's successful in generating um, an actual engagement with an outreach, uh, the system can get smarter about Building that topic model again and again to be better and better at understanding those buying events.
0: Well, does it then overlay the topic model over your contacts and your accounts, so that you know you create more context for them?
1: Well, that's the next. That's the next phase where you can say, okay, if I know the universe of companies, the universe of people and relationships, and the universe of content, and you are actively engaged with Cisco based on these types of things, what is the next account that that could be similar in proximity to both? The relationships that you care about, as well as the things that are going on in the world from a content perspective, that would mean it would be the next best account to go for, and that's kind of would be the evolution of how AI can be used in a, in a simple, uh, specific example, and then rolled out to be more repetitive and advanced.
0: Got it. Well, let's talk about in the context of relationships because this is, yeah, you know, this is really a critical part in sales, obviously, and it's it's one of the parts that you see to some degree almost being. I don't know, sacrificed, if you will, with a lot of the, the development the sales stack and so on, so much automation going into it. So, back to your point about effectiveness and efficiency, is it seems like the actual relationship with the buyer becomes less important in many, or to some people, it becomes less important if I have all this data supporting me. And interesting your take on that.
1: I kind of think it it, it 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 becomes more important because as a as a salesperson. So if you actually free up some of this research time, and you get more effective because you're being told uh, about a series of things that are happening that make these top these five companies the right ones to go for today, you can spend more time on the relationship building and building a competitive advantage as our salesperson, because you're getting more time to spend on building the relationship. And as you know, people buy from people that they trust and like, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I actually see it as a swing slightly the other way. I mean, there is a whole movement on sales automation that is creating, you know, a lot of obviously outbound vol- volume focused on efficiency. But I see good use of AI as swinging the pendulum the other way and saying, as a salesperson, you can actually spend time more on doing what you love and what's important, which is building that trusted relationship. Uh, because, because AI is doing the grunt work you need to get to the playing field to build that relationship. And so I think that that's where the focus is going to be, and I think you can continue to see more successful salespeople having more time to sell because of AI.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I certainly I mean, one of the things that you read a lot about AI is that, and we talked about this sort of earlier. You mentioned it, sort of you know listening to calls and modeling certain behavior types, and and is one of the promises you oftentimes hear is people saying, "Well, look, this is this is a technology that's finally going to be able to." Uh, quantify what makes A players A players, and uh, make it easier for the B and C players to model those types of behaviors. I mean, do you see that being the case? I mean, I, I, I have, I have some opinions about that, which we can get into <laughs> as we talk. But, but I, I see that cited more frequently as one of the real. Hey, this is where AI is really going to help.
1: I, I think the, the more um, the role is is process oriented. So if you think of like an SDR, right? Um, uh, where they're more fenced in in terms of the things that they can and cannot do, especially ones that only generate meetings and not necessarily qualify mm-hmm. you know, leads. I see AI certainly helping B players become more A players. Um, I see uh, AI getting deeper into, closer to the customer in terms of how far it goes down that path of actually engaging. Um, because the fence posts are more defined, and so therefore there are rules that can be put in that the AI, AI can follow and how it helps. I think as you go into um, inside sales, oh, and especially field sales, um, it is going to get down to, again, to um, so if the rep has time, if they're trained well, if they have skills, if there's a continuous coaching model on top of it, I don't think without that is AI going to get you all the way from turning B players to A players. I just think you can't it can't, the, the machines can't, aren't smart enough to do that part.
0: Yeah, well I think that, that also it sort of overlooks the fact that you know, if you look at a players, you know part of, part of what makes them top performers is something that's really unquantifiable in many other cases. Right? It is that personal interaction. It is what happens at that moment when they're talking to the buyer that even if you can capture the words, you can't necessarily capture the nuance in the connection.
1: Absolutely. And, as you know, um, every salesperson has a different style, which allows them to be authentic in their style in different ways. Um, and some some techniques work for some salespeople because of the way they are and the way they interact, and some some don't. And so I think that again, uh, assuming that a machine could understand that context of interaction at this point in time is 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 a challenge. but but freeing up salespeople to get, more training, more engagements, more time to do that is is certainly something it can do
0: yeah I mean this you raise an interesting topic and is that it seems that the one of the goals and you i've certainly this has been a goal for a long time, maybe it's used uh, channels, extensive use of channels to sell is you know they've always tried to say, well what can we do to have that buyer experience be the same you know from Transaction to transaction to transaction, or from rep to rep to rep, or dealer to dealer to dealer, and so on. And it seems like a lot of the effort being put into, and again, I think AI to some degree and and other parts of sales automation is to try to make reps be more conforming, not less. Right. I'm at one of my concerns is I see too often is that we're sort of squelching the individuality of people that, if they're given a little more freedom, could actually mature, perhaps, develop their own authentic style and actually make that migration from, let's say, a B to an A player. But as it is, it's really hard because they're being told you have to do this, 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 and this, you know, be just like this person. And they're not that person.
1: Yeah, I, I, it is interesting. So there's a couple of, I mean, and maybe this is just in B2B tech where this wave is happening, but, you know, as deal sizes get on average smaller, right, because um, competition is picking up, and everyone's entering. You know, every every market has five hundred players, um, <laughs> and you're and
0: those, all doing subscription sales and so on. Yeah, right.
1: That's right. The transaction size is smaller, so there's less on relationship. You end up falling more on process to drive um, drive value and make sure that you're actually closing business. Um, I, I do think, though, that. For every one of those startups that need to grow up and get and get into that next level of scale, as I, as we're seeing it in some of the, the larger startups, they have to get back to the fundamentals of well, how do you get a buyer to commit a half a million dollars in revenue in, in bookings? Um, there's it has to be a very fluid and value-driven and customized process for that buyer, right? You can't you can't just put an SDR uh, with a twelve-step automated campaign and out comes a you know sixty seventy thousand dollar deal, and so I think that. Um, we are seeing that move down at the lower end of the market, but as we see that next wave of startups who do get through and start to scale to 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 million in revenue, they're going to have to get back to those sales fundamentals that allows them to really engage at the mid-market enterprise and get those larger deals and larger value points with the buyer.
0: Well, I agree 100%. And it's, So, it's sort of interesting. is Are you seeing a change in, especially, let's say, in you know, the tech B2B world, where companies are sort of, it always used to be the model was, hey, let's start with the small enterprises, you know, the small mid-sized <laughs> businesses, we'll scale up to enterprise. But it sounds like now we're seeing more companies, I certainly see this, that are saying, well, maybe we'll start with enterprise.
1: I, I I think we are seeing, so one thing about SaaS that's allowed you to do is you could go global much faster than ever before. I mean, uh, my, sure. previous, my previous startup, Eloqua, we were uh, probably at the 50 first company that we signed, we, it was a global deal, and, and we never would have seen that in licensed software because it was very challenging to do that and scale. Right. Um, so I think you are seeing that. I, I think that what's also happened is, and to be fair, I think there is a second and third generation of entrepreneur out there who've done the smalls to grow to, to large, and realize how challenging that is, and is ta- getting more capital and tackling a bigger problem that it can take directly to the enterprise. Um, and enterprises today are more opt to be to try new things as they're being forced to innovate and be competitive. So I think you're seeing two things or two or three things happening at once that's allowing startups to go after the enterprise out of the gate
0: earlier. Yeah, I mean, one is right. Large enterprises are don't view the startups as risky as they might have 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I think that, that trend certainly in in this century has been one that's been amplified and magnified as as time's gone by.
1: Absolutely. And and another interesting trend I think that's happening in this is that um, and I've noticed, is, so as you get these startups going into uh, enterprise quicker, where they rely much more on, on a relationship and value-driven sales process, you also at the same time have these, what I'd call tenure, eight to eight to ten-year inside salespeople who are graduating to the field. It's almost like a cohort who've been around long and only grown up with sort of a digital interaction paradigm. And so it'll be interesting to see how they impact a field sales culture and organization uh, where you haven't had that sort of grown up through inside sales version of a field salesperson before.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, I think you're going to see, to be fair, I think you're going to see a little bit of a competitive advantage. I think that um, buyers today want to interact digitally. They want to interact socially. They still want to have an authentic relationship. uh, So that part has to be there. But you have an advantage coming into that role, knowing both worlds to some extent, um, and I think that's going to be uh, an advantage to those inside sales reps who are graduating to the field organization.
0: That's interesting. I mean, because certainly field reps and the ones I'm familiar with and the companies I've I've seen do this. I mean, they're they're using social. I mean, they're using they're connecting as digitally as as the inside reps reps perhaps, but with the exception is that they're going to see the customer face to face more frequently.
1: They they are, but I I wonder like so you say that. I don't know if it's as broad, certainly not across multiple sectors as, as like I have seen. Like I, I, don't, I don't see field reps across the board all adopting social, all adopting digital interactions primarily to start. I do see the ability for an inside rep to move to a field organization and have really good face-to-face interaction skills. Um, I do see that happening and I do see that because they have the digital piece ahead of time, they can operate at a much higher pace. And, and to be fair, matching what the buyer is expecting on the front end uh, at a much better level than potentially some of the other field reps I've seen who are struggling sometimes with the pace the buyer expects information flow.
0: Yeah, I haven't, I, to be honest, I haven't seen that, right? Because one thing that's changed in, in field sales is, is the frequency with which people see, in most fields, in most industries, they actually see their customers, right? They could be in the field, but yeah, they're spending most of their time on the phone. Yeah, you know, with with uh, in their office. You know, they're gonna go see spend the money to go see the customer when it's something really important.
1: That's a very good point. I mean, and there's no question that there are field organizations that have that are transforming and going through that digital transformation or have yeah. gone through that digital transformation. I mean, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I might just see somebody if if they're sort of at relative early stages of their career, whether in the field or they're an SDR, yeah, SDR may have more repetitions perhaps. Uh, but if they're uh Young field salesperson, they've got a, a territory, whether it's named account or just a geographic territory. Yeah, you know, they've got developed develop prospects, right? You know, are they going to be sending out as many emails, make as many calls as inside rep? Yeah, probably not. But I mean, it's, it's a matter of degree, I think, at that point.
1: No, that's a very good point.
0: Because, I mean, I can take my own experience. And <laughs> when I started sales, I was making 30, 40, 50 cold calls a day, you know, in person. Yeah, I wasn't making. You know, fifty phone calls every day and fifty contacts, but yeah, I'd say that there's a trade off in that experience, right? So, anyway, interesting. So, so how sort of one of the questions then is, you know, how do we take all this, you know, these actionable insights that you talk about, you know, these this intelligence that we're developing, the data we're gathering, and how do we use it to actually elevate sales productivity?
1: Yeah, You know, there's actually a real, this is a really good question because I think, and this is maybe me being, having been at a company that got into scale previously and worked with a lot of salespeople, um, we are not naive to the fact that too much is sometimes not good. In other words, you don't need an SDR to read uh, uh, a 10K or an annual report to do an outbound outreach, right? And so there's a fine line between giving an insight that's um, uh, valuable or helps differentiate versus actually is gone a little too over the top. And so, for example, we would train SDRs to not necessarily go deep on any insight and read the article and talk about it as part of their outreach, but maybe just mention one-liner, saw this, you were in the news, or saw that. So, the best practices are actually being shaped on these insights by role, because sometimes you do want to go deep um, at the right stage, but sometimes it actually hurts you, because now you you profess to be some sort of expert around an area, or maybe you get it wrong, right? Exactly. And so, uh, I think to your point, to be fair, you have to be smart about how you align the action based on role uh, to these insights that are coming out of these new solutions.
0: Well, and so part of what I was driving with that question, though, too, is is one of the themes I keep sort of harping on in my show is is okay, yeah, we've got all this great technology, these exciting developments in sales tech and sales stack. But the reports, you know, that you read say, "Hey, we're not actually getting any better." Right as a profession, we don't we don't have more people hitting quota. You know, the close rates, according to Forrester, close rates on B two B deals, you know, are stagnant. Um, what are what are we missing? You know, we've got all this this huge opportunity to really transform what we're doing, and yet it's not clear that we're using it in a meaningful way. That's having a lasting impact. So, I mean, it's just in your take on that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's actually, this is a very interesting conversation because I think that, it, so in my mind, it's, it's it's you're using all this stuff just to stay, keep even ground, right? Um, uh, the number of buyers involved in a, in a deal cycle have grown. Uh, the number of competitors and the pace that they reach out and interact with those buyers has grown. And so just to stay even ground, you have to be trying to adopt some of the best practices just to maintain your connection ratio, your conversion ratios, your close ratios. At least that's my view, is that unfortunately it's if you weren't doing the best practice, if you aren't trying to be innovative, you'll see you're losing ground and not gaining ground on quota attainment and conversion rates that are needed.
0: So how, what's the key then to actually boosting productivity in sales?
1: Well, it, it gets back to the so I mean it gets back to get the point that I, I think I started out at the very very beginning. So and I'd love to hear your view on this, um, Andy. As well is that you know if you get back to this concept that salespeople, some of the best salespeople in the world, do an incredible job nurturing their network, right, over their career, not in a single job. Mm-hmm. Like they they spend time, even if it's not going to provide quota relief this quarter, doing a couple things here and there to help stay in touch with the right people, help people out. And then when needed, those, those people that you've helped can help you back, whether it's in terms of access to an account or helping a deal or influence on a deal or reference. And I think that the thing that really moves the needle as a salesperson in the future is being better at managing and understanding that network and who's valuable and who you need to spend time with over, over your career. Um, hmm. I think that is the key single diff- biggest differentiator. And if you can use technology to help you do that, great. Um, I think, and that's a great example why LinkedIn has taken off so much for many reasons, but um, because of that need to have some form of help in managing a growing number of weaker connections. Interesting,
0: interesting. And so, in that in that environment, as you sort of described, is so how much of that is based on virtually nurturing your network versus, versus actually talking to people?
1: I think you can. I think you can do a combination of both. Um, I mean, I think that just like with any sales process, you do some virtual. Uh, I think you had. A, you actually had a recent podcast by a guy named Michael Franklin who used the term nudges, which I thought was really interesting because we often talk about the same idea concept. Right. That some some nudges need to be much more in person uh, or a phone call. Some of them can be much more subtle and um, implicit. Uh, it could be more social, um, as liking a tweet or. Just sending a nice note because you saw something about them. Um, so I think that it's a combination of both more uh, more face to face, more sort of personally engaging ones to some lighter ones that happen. And so it's really just understanding that balance I think that's important for every salesperson to do as they as they move along through the uh, sales process or with a relationship that's outside of sales process.
0: Well, one of the things that comes from looking at at what you guys are doing and the name of the company, Nudge, and we just talked about nudge. Is is to me at least this concept of not velocity but momentum. You know, we talk we talk about velocity through our pipeline, but to me it's it's never or I'll say rarely, sort of a, a straight line as you sort of assume with velocity, right? Is that it's with more peaks and valleys with you know aspects of momentum. And to me Yeah, I mean, sales is about how do you how do you establish and maintain or restart momentum? And you know, I think this idea of a nudge really plays into that right is because some are going to be more subtle, some are going to be more overt, and it's a combination of those that really get you from the start to the finish
1: absolutely and and making sure that um, through the low parts of momentum, which is the hardest to stay in touch right uh you you do stay top of mind with those nudges uh because because you want to be. The first person. And whether momentum can be driven, obviously, by the, the rep can add to momentum, but certainly there's an, there's an internal business driver as well often that oh, sure. re- restarts momentum, right? And so being top of mind through the low periods uh, so that when momentum picks up again, you are the first call, the first outreach back to take the reins and push it forward I think is hugely important and hard to remember to do. And this is, again, where technology can help, whether it's AI or not AI, but um. Certainly, AI being smarter about it. Um, you know, which things do you, which prospects do you nudge today, uh, not knowing where they're going to result in deals tomorrow, and and so that's where again AI can help.
0: I agree. I agree, and I think that's that is one of the yeah you know, poster child case use cases of technology is this idea of momentum, being in touch, being front of mind with the customer. That if technology can help you do that. Then, to me, that's what. That's what sets people apart. Right. I mean, if you're dealing with anything with any sort of complexity, maybe if it's purely transactional, momentum may not be quite as critical. But if you have any deal size, any complexity, if the duration of the sales cycle is is, you know, beyond 90 days, you start getting into six months or so on, yeah, momentum comes into a big time. And where most sellers fail is not staying in touch the right way. During those I, during those those sort of fallow periods, and those that yeah, can master that are the ones, in my experience, that always come out on top. Yeah, it's
1: it's the it's the terrible, uh, just touching base email uh, <laughs> that you send because that's all you know to send, right? Uh, versus choosing the five where something happened and being mean, slightly meaningful, like lightly meaningful in an outreach. Whether it's their company just won an award, or they just had a great quarter, or they just launched a new product and it's doing well, or Yeah, it's all those little things that make the difference in those nudges.
0: Absolutely. Well, good. Well, Paul, we could talk forever, but unfortunately, we're at the end of the show. So, uh, thanks for joining me. Tell folks how they can find out more about Nudge and connect with you.
1: Absolutely. So, you can find out more about Nudge at nudge.ai. That's N-U-D-G-E dot A-I. And we do have a free freemium Chrome extension you can use that has no cost to play around and see what your network looks like. And you can find me on Twitter at Paul Tashima, at Paul Tashima, that's T-E-S-H-I-M-A.
0: Excellent. Well, again, Paul, thanks very much. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow another great episode of Accelerate for you. Until then, if you can, take a moment, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast. You can do that right on the app you're using to listen to it. Leave a review for Accelerate. We really want to hear what you have to say that we can do to help you. So, thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.